It's time to dig in and discuss the questions on the minds of today's leaders. You are listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. This is where we get vulnerable, raw, and authentic about the stuff that really matters. Now, here is your host, Kathleen Reeson. Welcome to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. It is so nice to be here today. And today we're talking about how to be more creative. Yes, creativity, it is something that is so important to all of us to be able to access that. Now, creativity, let's just break this down for a second. Creativity is something that I believe is different than what a lot of people think creativity is. We think creativity belongs to designers or artists. It's something that we do, but creativity has nothing to do with doing. It's actually something that we can access. It's a place that we're in. It is a mindset. It's saying that we see possibility where others don't. It's saying that where we see a path where others might see a brick wall. So creativity is really something that can open up opportunities for us. Think about in a meeting, for example, if you're in a meeting and people are really locked on how something has to be done, like we are trying to think of a different way forward, but there is a lack of creativity. Like we're, we're thinking, how else could we make this happen? And so that's where creativity comes in. Now, I want to tell you a story about creativity for me, because how I access my creativity took me a long time to figure out. But now that I have an opportunity to see that, I know that I can access my creativity in a few key ways. Now, I'm sure that there are lots, but for me, there's a few key ways that have worked really well, and they're my go-tos. And so the goal is that you can find your go-tos to figure out how to access your creativity. Now, I know that for me, my creativity comes when my brain can be quieted. We're gonna get into the science of creativity here in a little bit. But before we do that, I wanna talk about how I access my creativity because one, it's, it's funny, you'll probably laugh at me and with me because I'm laughing too when I share the story. But another is that we all have some kind of version of this. And so you get to call that forward for what it is and that this is whatever it is for you, it's an opportunity to get in touch with creativity because creativity is how we solve problems. And if you're in any sort of leadership role, problem solving is a really big deal, really big deal. Okay, so for me, a few years ago, my grandma died. Now my grandma lived on a farm. She was in rural Indiana and we would go visit her all the time. When I was growing up, my grandma taught me how to make these crocheted, pot holders. My pot holder, it didn't look like a square pot holder like the rest of them, like they were supposed to look. Mine, the first one I ever made, it looked like a bell. So I attempted to make a square, it ended up looking like a bell. And my grandma, bless her heart, she hung it on a door frame that didn't have a door, but a door frame that we all passed under. So we walked through this door frame every time I was on this farm at her house. And she hung it there, very proud of my bell. And she said, this is your first creation and you'll get better over time. So she died a few years ago and I went to the farm and there is my creation. Now, my grandpa was still alive, so I didn't take my creation down. I thought, well, we'll just see how long this will stay up here because somebody will forget that this bell belonged to me and it will just disappear. Maybe get thrown out. I don't know what will happen to it. I still, I don't actually know what happened, but it did get taken down at one point. 
And so my bell no longer existed. But I was going through all of her patterns because she was a phenomenal maker. And by that, I mean, there was actual art of doing. She could do anything with her hands. Like She was great at cross-stitching and crocheting and knitting, anything that somebody created like a uh, any sort of art or design, she could make happen based on a pattern and she would add her own flair to it. So she made this deal with this local uh, craft store and she said, anytime you get patterns in and you want people to see what's possible, just give it to me and I'll make it. And so she did. And then she would get all these patterns and this material and yarn and thread. I mean, she's so much of it. And so I was going through all our patterns with my sisters and my cousins. And what I found, I found this pattern. Now, if you're watching on radio, you're listening on radio, you will not be able to see this. But if you're listening on the Binge Network, I'm going to show it to you. I found this pattern and it was called the Christmas Special from 1983. And on this pattern was this I don't even know if it was a girl or a boy. They, you guys remember, if you're old enough, you'll remember this mushroom cut, haircut, and you put a bowl on your head and then basically cut around it. My mom used to do that for me. But that's what this child has on their head. This child is actually probably about four years old and is wearing this Santa on their chest. Now, if I made this for any of my children, they would be, they would not wear it. They would laugh at it. And uh, yet, I thought it was pretty cool. So I asked my sister, who is not four years old, she was 34 at the time, and I said, if I make this for you, will you wear it in public? And she laughed at me and thought, maybe she's joking. Maybe Kathleen has, is joking. She doesn't have the skills to do this. So sure. So this is what she says. Sure, Kathleen, if you make it, I'll wear it. I said, okay. So I take this pattern, I put it in a bag. And for three years, three years, hear this, I practiced crocheting because it's a crochet pattern. I practiced crocheting. I started out with a, with another little square pattern with a pot holder. I moved on to this very basic stocking. I made blankets. Blankets are actually quite simple because all you got to do, if you can make a square pot holder, you can make a giant blanket. So I practiced for three years. Finally. I decided it's the time. So last October, I started on this Christmas sweater. Now here's the thing. This sweater, again, it's for a toddler and my sister's 34. So I had to make a lot of guesstimates on how I was gonna grow the sweater. And <laughs> I did. And I'm proud to say, I didn't just make one sweater, I made four. <laughs> The original batch had three, one for each of my sisters, and then my sister-in-law saw it, and she wanted one, so I made four of these Santa sweaters. With one heck of a picture. At Thanksgiving, I got these out. I had them in a nice Christmas bag, and my sister, she gets this bag. She has no idea what it is because I haven't said anything about this, this Christmas crochet pattern for three years, so she's totally forgotten about this. And guess what? I bring it out, and she pulls out this Santa sweater. It was amazing. She was not, I, I can't even describe the look on her face when she saw it. It was like embarrassment, disbelief, excitement all at the same time because she remembered her promise that she had to wear it in public. So of course I made her wear it in public. It was beautiful. First she was a little mortified, but she got over it quickly. And then my other sister, the one, so I made this one for her too. And she decided that she was going to wear it to an ugly Christmas sweater contest. 
Now, hers didn't win for ugly because like, they actually turned out really cute. Hers didn't win for the ugly Christmas sweater, but it won for like most creative. So she gets this amazing Santa sweater. Uh, she wears it. She gets this award. It's this really cool cup. And anyway, she wins an award because of this design. Now, a few things about this project. One, the end game was the joy that it brought. Now, brought joy as I was making it, because what I didn't tell you is in October when I decided to make it, it was when my dad was in the hospital. Now, my dad's been pretty sick. He's very healthy now, but he was pretty sick for a long period of time. And we were sitting in the hospital and I'm working on this sweater and the nurses would come in and they would say, what are you working on? And I would say, dad, tell her what I'm working on. And he would laugh and say, oh, get the pattern out. And so I did, he would get the pattern out and he would share the nurse. Hey, look what she's doing. She's doing this to torture her sister. And he just thought it was the funniest thing. And so what I learned was how much joy this brought other people, me and other people. And then when we got the finished product done, then it brought all this joy to have these sweaters and create these experiences. I mean, how often do you see four adult women out in these Christmas Santa sweaters that were designed for toddlers. It just doesn't happen very often. And it catches people off guard and you can create moments of joy. Now, since then, so since last fall, I have made 4th of July outfits for them. I made a cactus sweater, or I know it's cactus scarf. I've made, oh, I just made a nutcracker hat. I'm, I'm on fire now, but I made this nutcracker hat that uh, it really just looked like a creepy old man on a head. Like, let's be honest. But my older sister, so this is a different sister, my older, I have two sisters. My oldest sister, she has the nutcracker hat and I made her a pencil scarf. Now she is a preschool teacher. She's gonna look fine on the playground with this nutcracker hat and this pencil scarf. So I really thought ahead. But my finest creation since then was one that I just created. I was on vacation last week and I made my sister, my older, the, the, my little sister, so the one that originally got the Santa suit that started this whole Santa sweater. I made her a Halloween outfit. Not any Halloween outfit. I made her a pumpkin. So a little hat and the, uh, the, the whole outfit. I mean, it was so cool. I made her this pumpkin outfit. And she looked at it and said, I have to wear this? because now it's just anything I make, she has to wear in public. And uh, she, she was a little embarrassed, but she's gonna do it. And she sent a picture to one of her friends who's having a baby, who's gonna be my sister's godson. And her, her friend was so amazed. Now she wants a littler version for her newborn so they can match. So how cool is that? It's creating joy. And so for me, what I realize and why I'm sharing this with you is that when my hands are busy, it calms my mind. It calms my mind. And when my mind is calm, that's a space for creativity. So I actually have some of my biggest breakthroughs in business when I'm doing these projects like crocheting. I took this class on quilting. I'm not a very good quilter. Most of the time, I've only made a few quilts in my life and they peel apart because I, I'm just not that accurate. <laughs> and if you've ever done anything like that, you gotta be really accurate. But the process of learning, it kept my hands so busy that it actually opened up a space in my mind where I could be creative. And so that was really cool. So for me, finding something that keeps my hands busy calms my mind. Also going for a walk is a great way. Some people find exercise. We're gonna go through some actual tools to access creativity here in a little bit. But what I want you to know is that for you, it may be different than for somebody else. 
And for me, it's keeping my hands busy. I made this uh, supposed to be a sweater, like an actual legit sweater. So for not the Santa sweater, but like a, a legit that you could wear every single day kind of sweater. And I started it out and I thought something seemed a little bit off. I got a little further and all of a sudden I realized that the large sweater I meant, like medium large, if you've ever made something, it's kind of an ish for me anyway, somebody else it might not be. But for me, everything's kind of an ish, which means it's not exact. But I realized that the way I was making it was actually gonna be a size 5X sweater. I mean, like three times the size that I was even intending, or it was huge, huge. It was more like a blanket. And my husband says to me, remember why you got into this? It, it wasn't about making something perfect. It was just to keep your hands busy to open up this space of creativity. And when I realized that, and he, he kind of grounded me in that, remember, this isn't about being perfect. I remembered the value of a hobby. And most of us are so focused on getting it right. And in our day jobs, the, the higher that we are in an organization, the less, the less opportunities we have to truly just play and fail. But with a hobby, you can fail every single day. So when I'm making these crochet outfits and I get halfway done and I realize I have to rip it all out because I did something wrong, it doesn't matter. I mean, really, the impact on it is so insignificant. It's maybe, it's probably time. That's really what it's costing me is time. Maybe a little bit of money because I bought some thread or some yarn, but that's it. But in business, there are a lot more factors and it gets a lot pricier to make mistakes. So hobbies give us the opportunity to fail. And when we can fail and move forward, we realize it's no big deal. We're training ourselves to play at a riskier level. And when we can do that, I'll use the word comfortably, but without a lot of holdback, that's when we'll do that in our own lives, in, in our professional life. Because I've said this before, how we show up anywhere is how we show up everywhere. How we show up anywhere is how we show up everywhere, which means that if we use our hobbies to practice these skills, then we can apply them in our professional work. And all of a sudden, we're not as serious. All of a sudden, we can access creativity because we know the pathway to do that. That's what's so important. Now, we're going to go on a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to discuss the science behind creativity the science behind creativity, because it's actually there. And I have studied the science and I'm so excited to share it with you. So we're gonna nerd out here in just a little bit, but enjoy this quick break first. You're listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Talk to you in a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspire Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspire Choices Network radio host. Email becomeahost at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. 
To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Today, we're talking all about how to be more creative. And I shared with you my story before that commercial break of one of the ways that I access creativity. What, what it's really about for me is keeping my hands busy so that my mind stays calm. Now, the science behind that, that's what we're going to talk about. Why is creativity so important and linked to the mind? Well, we're gonna talk about the emotional epicenter in the mind, because there's really three different areas, lots of areas of the brain, but three different areas that we're gonna focus on in this conversation. There is the amygdala, there is the hypothalamus, and the hippocampus. Now, the amygdala is kind of, the, if you think about your back, your spinal cord, goes up to your brain. So where your vertebrae from your spine meets the brain, right at the base of that is your amygdala. And so your amygdala is where we receive all of our emotional responses. So anything that comes in through our senses, our touch, our taste, our sight, our hearing, our, our uh, I missed one, smell, our nose, our smell. So anything that comes in through our five senses, it runs through our amygdala and it recognizes anything that we experience. So let's just say we touch a hot surface. Our amygdala recognizes that a hot surface has been touched. Now through our, hypo our hypothalamus, we actually create a reaction. Our hypothalamus is where we store our fight or flight reaction. So if your hand touches something hot, through your hypothalamus, we say, oh, hot things, pull your hand back because your skin will get burned. Or your nose smells smoke, perhaps you think there's a fire, and in your, your hypothalamus, it says, woo, woo, fire, call 911, look for a fire, but we create some kind of response. And then our hippocampus stores that response. So our hippocampus would say, you put your hand on something that was hot. You burnt your hand, you pulled your hand back to create as much safety as possible. And in the future, through your hippocampus, do not put your hands on hot surfaces. Okay, so that is one way that we can create a memory in our hippocampus that sets us up for success in the future, meaning we're not gonna burn ourselves. Now let's just say you have a parent and a parent says, do not slide down the stairs with a box in your head. I use this example because it's something that I never thought I would have to say to my children, but when they were younger, it was something that we said multiple times because they kept wanting to slide down the stairs with boxes on their heads. It was the weirdest thing, but they loved it. And so maybe you have some kind of memory of a parent telling you something. So you're hearing it. It's coming in through the amygdala. You're recognizing there must be some kind of danger in sliding down the stairs with a box on your head. And so you don't do it. And the hippocampus stores the memory so that it says, do not slide down the stairs with a box on your head. And we can come up with all kinds of examples that parents use, like do not eat food without a fork. If it's not finger food, don't eat it without a fork. Like, do not pick up a handful of pasta with and shove it in your mouth. Don't just grab it with your fingers and shove it in your mouth. That wouldn't be considered polite. So you, somebody says, so through hearing, you hear, do not pick up the pasta with your hands and shove it in your mouth. So you recognize in your hypothalamus, nope, don't do that. You pull your hand back and use a fork instead, and your hippocampus stores a memory. Now, what happens as you get older is that your brain has stored all of these memories. Now, every single experience that you've created 
between the ages of about zero and eight. So that's a, that's a really long time. That is what dictates the patterns and behaviors that exist for you as an adult. So, so think about that. I have a nine, 11, and 13-year-old right now. So three boys, nine, 11, and 13-year-olds. Those boys have already, they've created any sort of limiting beliefs, patterns, anything that's gonna show up for them as an adult has already been established, which basically means I have screwed up my children unless something catastrophic happens. I've screwed them up as much as I can screw them up. So I mean, that's kind of beautiful. <laughs> but on the other hand, now we'll spend the rest of our lives undoing these patterns because you create these connections and then it affects the rest of your life. Now think about a connection that's unintended. For example, if you're a parent, you know that dropping your child off at kindergarten can often come with tears, both for the child and the parent. Now imagine you're that child and your parent has dropped you off and you think, my parent is leaving me. Now your parent knows that they're gonna come at the end of the day, but you're this kid, it's the first time that your parent has ever dropped you off and all of a sudden you don't know if your parent's coming back. And you think, wow, my mom or dad has abandoned me. Now at the end of the day, your parent comes, they give you a big hug, but it was a rough day. Until then, you didn't know whether they were coming back. You thought they left you there. And all of a sudden, that moment creates a cycle of abandonment, even though abandonment never happened. And so as an adult, you have this a pattern of abandonment, thinking, I can't let people close because they're just going to leave me. So just remember that emotional triggers can happen off of anything. They don't have to be rational or logical. And here's why. Because rational and emotional, or rational and emotional, they live in two separate areas of the brain. Ration and logic live in the front section of the brain, but emotion, the, the emotional epicenter, so the amygdala, the hypothalamus, the hippocampus, they live in the lower part of the brain. So front part of the brain is ration and logic, and the emotional epicenter is in the, the back part of the brain. Let's refer to those as the upstairs and the downstairs part of the brain. So we've got our ration, our logic in the upstairs portion, and we've got our emotional epicenter in the downstairs portion. Now here's the deal. When you are younger, tell about the age of, oh, well, it's about 26 before you truly have got the upstairs and the downstairs brain connecting. But it's about at the age of about 13, 14. So that, that teenage year, right when you become a teenager, you start to solidify this, this ladder essentially between the upstairs and the downstairs brain, meaning that you can walk up and down the, the ladder. But what happens is that between the ages of about 14 and 26, you solidify that, which means you're continually going through this process of connecting ration and logic with emotion. That's why we call the teenage years, these kind of roller coaster years, because at some moments you look at your teen and they are in that upstairs brain, that ration and that logic, but at sometimes they're in the downstairs brain because that ladder is not, it's not firm yet. It's kind of, kind of slippery. And so as that ladder gets built, some days they'll hang out in the upstairs brain, but some days they won't. And that's when you wonder, oh my gosh, how can this child be so smart and yet make those decisions? It's why kids drive 100 miles per hour on the interstate, these new drivers, and it can be so dangerous because you think they are making really sound decisions, but then they hang out in their downstairs brain and it's the equivalent of handing a 10-year-old keys to a car. I mean, we would never do that, but that's what's happening 
when they're living in the downstairs brain and not in the upstairs brain in that moment. And so how do you connect these to creativity? Well, the creativity happens in the downstairs brain. But we walk up to the rational and the logic, and that is where we say this can't happen. We look at our past to say, in the past, we created these experiences and we didn't like it, so logically, that this didn't work. And so if we repeat this, it's not gonna work again. This is how the upstairs brain works. So our downstairs brain can think of these creative ideas, but our upstairs brain will tell us why they won't work. So in order to access creativity, you've gotta climb down the ladder to the downstairs brain and you gotta hang out there for a little while. So when I say crocheting for me, keeping my hands busy, supports me in getting down the ladder, what I'm saying is that I have to read a pattern or think about the stitches that I'm making. I have to use my rational and logic brain in order to create this row of stitches. For example, in my sweater, if I've got to create a hundred double crochets, if you know anything about crochet, that'll make sense. If not, it doesn't really matter. Just know that there's a step and a logic to it that has to happen. But it's not, it doesn't take that much brain power because I've done it enough that it's become part of my muscle memory. And so it just takes enough where my brain says, okay, logic, this is happening, but we don't really need to hang out here. And hey, I'm working on something creative. And so it allows me to go into my downstairs brain and play in my emotional epicenter, which again is where my creativity is. And because I've got my hands moving, it actually opens up this space of creativity, and then anything that flows in can. So for example, let's say I've got a question on my mind about how I'm gonna move something forward in business, or I've got a client that's coming to me. I do a lot of strategic planning with clients, and they're saying, how should I focus on my strategic planning for the year? I may have that question on my mind, but it's like deep in my mind, it's not at the forefront. And because my hands are busy and I'm down in my downstairs brain, I can apply that question to my downstairs brain and create creativity create wild outcomes. But if I do that to my upstairs brain and I ask the same question, it's going to be kind of boring answers. So I used to run an advertising agency. And in an effective advertising agency, you have got to be able to run from the downstairs brain to the upstairs brain back and forth, back and forth, because that is so important. Great ideas, they come from the downstairs brain because logic and reasoning never solved beautiful problems, the most challenging problems. They cannot be solved from logic. They get solved through creativity by hanging out in the downstairs brain. How cool is this stuff? I mean, really, this is science at its finest. Now, how did I learn this stuff? This is what's so fun. If you remember back in June of 2021, so it's been you know, a little over a year, I did this whole series on joy. And it's really fun. I go back and listen to it. So it's a little over a year ago. You'll find it about May and June of 2021. So if you go back through the podcast series or through the radio show on Inspired Choices Network, you'll see all of the shows. And one of them that I did, I actually interviewed my dad, who's a neuroscientist. And when I got to thinking about how we really access creativity, I'm working on this book that talks a lot about this stuff. What I did was I interviewed my dad and I asked him, how does this work? And he said, your, your brain is designed to protect you. Your brain is designed to protect you. And so everything about what I just described is a protection mechanism. Your amygdala pulls in your senses. Your hypothalamus tells us what to do with that sense, so that immediate reaction. And then your hippocampus stores it so that in the future, 
you'll be set up for success. I mean, it's just, it's really beautiful how our brain is designed to work. And we can use it to our advantage. When we know how our brain's designed to work, then we can work with ourselves to create the outcomes that we want. So if you're a very logical, reasonable, per reasonable person, you spend a lot of time in your frontal lobe, that front part of your brain, the upstairs brain. And my invitation to you is to walk down that ladder. So figure out what it is. Now, some people, it's dancing, turning on some music and literally moving their body gets them, when we say stuck, have you ever heard somebody reference, I'm stuck? That is what's happening in our frontal brain. Now, I facilitate sessions, especially when I'm working on these strategic planning. I facilitate a lot of sessions to get us out of the frontal brain and into the emotional epicenter. Now, I'm not talking about we don't want people in a strategic planning session or a board meeting or whatever it is. We don't want people going off the handle with emotions like, like crying in the middle of the meeting because uh, they're frustrated about something that happened six months ago. Like, No, that's not the point. It's not about that. What it's about is creating opportunities where we can think freely and creatively and not get stuck on what hasn't worked or what has been done because that is irrelevant to today's moment. It does not matter. So logic and reasoning only sets us up for immediate success. It does not set us up in the long term. That's where we get to access creativity. Now we're gonna go on a quick, quick commercial break. And when we get back, we're gonna talk about how you can use some of these, I'll give you five tools that you can use to access your go-to creative. So what's some ways that you can use to be more creative right now? You are listening to the Kathleen Recent Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. I'll talk to you right after this break. Are you enjoying the conversations on the Kathleen Recent Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. Inspired Choices Network now has its very own mobile app. Our free app offers live streaming shows, along with thousands of podcasts and TV episodes. Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. And today we've been talking all about how to get more creative. Now, when you're talking about creativity, it's not about a doing. It is absolutely about giving yourself space in your mind to be able to create possibility where others don't see possibility, to create opportunities where others see brick walls. So that truly is what creativity is. And creativity lives in that downstairs brain, not that upstairs brain. And so one of the ways that you can access creativity, we're gonna get into five tools here in just a second, but the main, the main overall crux of this is that when you're being creative, you're not stuck in the weeds. Now, perhaps you've got people around you 
your team where you say, I want them to focus on the big picture and not be stuck in the weeds. And some other words that I use to describe that, I'm gonna give you some different language. It's saying about focusing on intention over mechanism. Mechanism is how we do it. It's like, it's a how, it's the, it's the tangible, the tactic. But the intention is about what we're doing. Now, there are millions of mechanisms, actually an infinite amount of mechanisms, but the intention is what matters. And oftentimes in creativity, we get hung up on the mechanism and then we get frustrated when a mechanism doesn't work. For example, I was working with a team on this very topic. We were talking about being creative and solving some big problems. And we we're working on their strategic planning for the year. One of the things that we were focused on was how do we actually grow this company? What are all the different ways that we could grow? And they got stuck on the tactics, the ways to grow. We could send out direct mail. We could uh, run a digital marketing campaign, but it wasn't about that. The question had nothing to do with that. The question was about the intention of the growth. What are all the different ways? For example, entering new market segments, creating new service offerings. So there's all kinds of different of the intention, but we're playing at a higher level then, not about the tactic of how we actually do it, but about the intention of what we wanna create. And so when we're talking about creativity, we wanna stay at that intention level. So if you're leading a team and you want to get more creativity, remember to stay at the intention level because that's what's going to drive creativity. The mechanism kind of sucks us dry because there's unlimited. And so we can just fire through mechanisms but then the conversation gets into what's the budget, what's the timing. At this point, when we're talking about strategy, it's just not that important to get into the mechanism. We've got to stay at the intention level. And so that's the most, that kind of encompasses all of this. But if you're saying, how do I access more of my creativity? How do I utilize this kind of at a moment's notice? If you're saying, I'm not feeling very creative in this moment, what do you do? Well, there's a really easy way to access the creativity and it's your five senses. Okay, so I said I was gonna give you five tools, but here's what I want you to remember, your five senses, okay? So you've got your sight, you've got your smell, your taste, your hearing, and your touch. Your sight, your smell, your taste, your hearing, and your touch. I didn't make up the five senses, you've known those. There's songs from when you're little, I don't remember any of them, but in your preschool years, that's when we really start to learn the five senses. So I did not make these up, it's just something that exists. And they, what it's really saying is that these are the five areas that our amygdala recognizes as sensory areas. So if you want to open up your creativity, we get to be in touch with those sensory areas. Because again, that's pulling you into your amygdala, it's giving your hypothalamus a chance to have some kind of reaction and your hippocampus a chance to store a memory. And so when you play in that epicenter, that emotional epicenter, that is your downstairs brain. And so you're forcing yourself into the downstairs brain. So some ways to give you an example of this. So sound, for example, if you wanna be super productive, play white noise, you know, the ambient, play that, play that white noise. But if you wanna be creative, go to a coffee shop where people are talking, but at a lower decibel. So if you wanna be productive, white noise is the way to go. But if you wanna be creative, go to a coffee shop. The difference is, there's huge science behind it, but the, the decibel level that people are reacting and what you're hearing. 
Okay, so you want a little bit more that's going to take you out of the logic and the reasoning because we can't stay in the logic and reasoning when our sensories are fine. Because our amygdala is saying, something's going on here, what's happening? And it's going to put you into that emotional epicenter. And then you get to use your logic and reason and saying, everything's okay, I did this to myself. And then you're down in that downstairs brain and now you can play. Okay, so where you position yourself and what you hear is really important, especially with uh, headphones. So we've been experimenting at my house with different types of headphones. So earbuds, those little tiny earbuds that you can stick in your ear, they don't really cancel out a lot of the ambient noise. So ambient noise would be like Starbucks. White noise would be like the, uh, I can't even imitate a white noise maker, but it'd be something you can Google white noise on Google and lots of stuff will come up. Or there's even white noise machines, but it's just a really thin level of sound that kicks in your brain, but it's at a low enough decibel that you can still get into your logic and your reasoning. That's why some people, when they're on deadlines, you'll hear them play very soft music or that they're really focused on productivity. So it's a really great tool for productivity. But if you want to be creative, that's where you need more of that Starbucks-esque experience where you have a little bit of noise, but I'm talking like conversations or clattering of coffee cups, the making of the, the beans being ground. So that kind of experience, that actually opens up creativity. Okay, so we've got our sound, but, but the headphones, the earbuds, those don't really cancel out that much sound. One of my kids uses those big noise canceling headphones. My dad actually uses those as well. I don't really use them because for me, what it does is it cancels out so much of the sound that I no longer can be productive or creative. But one of the tools that I've, I've heard, and this is not, I get no money for this, but there's a calm earbud. And so this is kind of a combination of the two and you can stick it in your ear and it actually allows sounds to come in, but they are at a much muted level. So you could go to a concert, for example, where it's very loud and you could stick these in and you would still be able to hear the concert just fine, but it would lower the decibel. And so that oftentimes can kick you into some creativity too, because you're not being triggered by all of the overwhelm of the senses. So there are some, some definite possibilities there. There's tools that you can use with sound to play with sound so that it's not triggering you in your, lo your logic or rational. How you'll know you'll be triggered by logic or rational based on sound is that you wanna leave an environment. I was at a kid's science center last week and it was so overwhelming. I mean, everywhere you went, there was sounds, experiences. Kids were just walking around like in this dazed and confused pattern. They would walk to one event and then see something else that they liked and go over there. And it was challenging to watch. After two hours of this, every adult that I was with was ready to leave because we were on sensory overload. Now the kids were loving this sort of stimulation, but what happens with kids is they can carry that on for a little bit longer and then they crash. Adults have a much less tolerance because we play in our logic and reasoning. And so logic and reasoning says this is not healthy for your body. You are not going to last long here. You've got to get out of here because it's just too much. It's, it's creating that overwhelm for our senses. So there are tools that you can use to support you with sound. Now let's use sight. Okay. Let's use sight and how we can open up creativity. There are beautiful things all around us, but most of the time we can't see them. We don't choose to see them. For example, the color of the sky, or a sunset, or a picture in front of you. Perhaps it's a picture 
of friends or family. Or maybe it is a picture of your kids. Or maybe it is a scene, a picture of a scene, something that that has a an ocean with a dolphin jumping out. Maybe that's what's in front of you. But whatever it is, if you take a moment and you actually describe what you're seeing. For example, I see a picture of an ocean with an aqua blue waves with a little white as each of the the waves crashes. The sunset in this picture has the most brilliant hues of orange and pink and purple. So as I'm describing this picture, I'm seeing it in a way that I may never have seen it before. Now, as I'm thinking of words to describe it, I'm triggering my amygdala into my hippocampus and my hypothalamus. So all three of those are at play, which is my emotional epicenter. Have you ever drawn something? And I mean truly not truly drawn it, not from logic and reasoning. If you watch a kid draw, kids can sit down with a piece of paper and they just they they draw eyes. They say, I see the eyes, I draw the eyes, they draw circles, hair, whatever they think. They're drawing from their imagination. But as we get older, we don't draw from imagination, we draw from what we see in something else. So for example, my children will pull up pictures on Google of characters that they want to draw and they'll look at the characters on Google and then they will get a piece of paper out and they'll start to draw them because they're copying one for one. But a child draws from imagination. As you get older, you draw from something visually that you can see. That's the difference between drawing from the upstairs brain and drawing from the downstairs brain. If you want to open up your creativity, draw like a little kid. Get your piece of paper out and just start drawing. And so that's another way to trigger that emotional epicenter. That involves some touch, it involves some sight. So we've got multi-sensory options. Now taste, taste is a really fun one. I was, they're all fun, but I was doing this session the other day to really focus on creativity with a group of executives. And I brought in sour gummy worms. I don't know if you've never had these before, but when you have a sour gummy worm and you put it on your tongue, your reaction most likely is, ah, you stick your tongue out, your eyes get bigger, okay? And you make this sound that sounds like, eh, okay? So that's the reaction that you typically have. So here I am with this group of executives. We're opening up the space of creativity before we're going into some, some big planning sessions. And I gave them this gummy worm. There were two of them, and I had them stand up front. And I gave them, a, and they put it on their tongue, and each of them did the same thing, this, eh, thrust the tongue out. And the people in the audience, they were laughing because it, it did seem funny. But at the same time, what we were realizing was, wow, all the stuff we've been talking about with the brain, between the amygdala, the hypothalamus, and the hippocampus, it all came together really quickly. So our tongue, we sensed that there was something that was different because it was the sour gummy worm. So they, our brain sensed something that was different. And all of a sudden, our hypothalamus created that fight or flight reaction, in this case, flight, sticks our tongue out so that we can remove the danger. And our hippocampus says again, hmm, when Kathleen tells you, close your eyes and she's gonna put something in your hand for an experiment with your taste, maybe don't do it again. And so when I offered them another item that I didn't tell them what it was, there was hesitation. Both of them had hesitation. And I said, notice to the audience, notice the hesitation because their hippocampus has a stored memory that says when Kathleen gives me something, it might be sour and I might not like it. My body might want to reject it. 
And so there was a little bit of hesitation. Now they still did it. They played along. But the next time I didn't give them a sour gummy worm, I gave them just a plain gummy bear. Now their bodies much really took to that because it was sweeter. There was no thrust out of the tongue, the sound, the eyes bulging. That didn't exist this time. It was more of a sweet sensation. And then they asked for more. And the audience got to see the difference. Now, again, when you put yourself in these positions, you are focused on what's happening around you with your taste. You're not focused on logic and reasoning. And so at this point, now I can ask you questions about opportunity, about about how we can move business forward, about these challenges that we've been attempting to solve. And you're not in your logic and your reasoning space. You're in your emotional epicenter, which means creativity can exist. So if you're going to work with your team, this, while it seems like this stuff's kind of just fun and games, it's really important to access creativity before you go into some really big decision making or uh, strategy or planning type experiences. Because this, opening up creativity, you can get where you want to go a lot faster. It's really, really cool how this all works. So that is some tools that you can use accessing your senses to open up creativity. We are gonna go on a quick break, and when we get back, we're gonna wrap all this up, and I'm gonna tell you what actually stands in the way of your creativity the most, so that you can blow past it and have the creativity that you desire, have access to the creativity that you desire. You're listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Talk to you in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. And today we're talking all about how to be more creative and the importance of creativity before you go into any big decision-making experience. So you want to go into strategic planning? Awesome. But make sure that you do some exercises on creativity to get your team out of their front brain, their upstairs brain, where the logic and the reasoning resides, and down into their emotional epicenter, because that is where creativity resides. So what is the one thing that can stop you when you're in your creativity? It'll put you right back into the frontal brain. What is it? I'm going to tell you. It's called FUD. Perhaps you've heard of it before. FUD. F-U-D. And it's really just an acronym for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Those are, as we're adults, as we get older, those are the three things that really hold us back, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Now think about how much FUD has been a challenge in your life, in your work, where you think of a brilliant idea, brilliant meaning it could be great, you're super creative about what you want, and then you let FUD get in the way. Now, having recently come off a of vacation, why are vacations so wonderful? Vacations allow us to use our creativity because we spend months, years, long time in our frontal brain. And we go on vacation and we play. Play is a space for creativity. And so we access creativity on vacation and then we come back and we wanna bring that creativity into our work. And what's the first thing that happens? 
we get we get pushed into our frontal brain and then fear uncertainty and doubt pop up and they tell us you can't do this this isn't real it's not going to happen it's never happened before and it's not going to happen now and all of a sudden your creativity goes to zero and you got to work harder to bring it back up now i have this happen too i study this stuff and yet i still have this happen i went on vacation i was crystal clear about what i got to create i came home i said this is what i'm gonna what i'm gonna create this week and yet this morning i've caught myself saying oh no that won't work that's that won't work nobody wants to hear this and it it made me smile it irritated me and also saw how relevant this is this is happening a lot that fud is getting in our way but is getting in our way and all that is is the upstairs brain saying logic come on now this isn't going to work hello i remember our brains are geared to protect us they're built to protect us and this is your brain fear uncertainty and doubt is your brain saying i don't want you to get hurt i don't want you to get into trouble and so i am going to tell you that this is not going to work and so you actually have to counter your brain and say brain thank you for protecting me but we are going to be creative now we are going to take these risks that's a big conversation absolutely but what i can tell you is that when you're able to manage that conversation that that is where you could have the most profitability and when i say profitability i don't just mean in financial terms i mean in the results that you want to create whatever that is for your company for your life because this is what's really important now we're talking about the basics of emotional intelligence here we're absolutely applying them to strategy because hey that's really fun the next week we're talking all about how to use emotional intelligence to increase your profitability and so we will talk about some of the different skills that you can use and apply in emotional intelligence that directly impacts the bottom line of your company so make sure you join us next week but know this week that creativity is the key the pathway to creating the results that you want you've got to play in your creative mind in order to make creative decisions in order to see opportunities where others don't see them in order to see possibilities where others see brick walls and so it's really important to access your creativity remember that creativity is not about doing creativity is something that you can access it's a way of being it's a way to say that creativity happens when we're in that emotional epicenter that downstairs portion of our brain and as we get older we create the link between our downstairs brain and our upstairs brain kids are are really naturally some of the most creative that you'll ever experience so if you want to solve a bunch of problems really just ask the kids because they don't have the constraints when you hear this you've heard it a million times play outside of the box let's think outside of the box companies have even labeled themselves outside the box yeah i mean just do a google search for something around outside the box companies especially creative like agencies advertising agencies they'll call themselves outside of the box out of the box thinking now you've heard it all the time but all that it's saying is that we are committed to playing in our emotional epicenter and creating ideas from that space creating solutions from that space but our actual top of our brain our frontal brain our logic and reasoning of course it's important of course it's there to protect us and of course we get to have that be a part of how we operate on a day-to-day -day basis but it's not how we lead we get to lead from a creative space 
So something like crocheting a crazy Santa sweater for myself, I really get to create some kind of like Pinterest folder so you can all see my designs. They are wild, but it truly is just an opening for me. When my hands are busy, my mind is calm. It's a way for me to sense to touch something. It's a way for me to see. It's a way for me to create joy when I hear. There really isn't a lot of sense in the smelling in my crocheting and taste. I don't taste what I am creating, but three senses I get to enact through my crocheting. Three. That's pretty neat. Think about cooking. Some people have cooking as their hobby. And so that can activate your senses as well, because there you can get taste. There you can get smell. There you can get eyes. Sometimes there's a hearing component to cooking uh, and there's a touch component, definitely. So anytime you can find a multi-sensory hobby, that's going to pull you into your creativity faster. So make sure that you have a hobby. What I see in busy executives is that they don't have these. We find ourselves so busy working that we drop the hobbies and then we live in our logical and our reasoning. And that does not work full time. We've got to access that creativity. And last but not least, if you're stuck and you can't access your creativity, go play with a little kid. I mean, don't be the creeper on the playground where you show up as that adult who wants to play with the kid. Not me, I need to do that. But, but like, find a kid, find a friend with a kid and go play with them because kids know how to play. They get this, they get creativity. Now, if you're wondering how to apply this directly to your company and how this can work in your company, especially as you go into strategic planning, because that's the season we are in, let me know. Reach out at Kathleen at KathleenReason.com. Happy to give you any sort of support or tips, or you may want to hire me and my team to support you in this process. If that's the case, let's talk. Kathleen at KathleenReason.com. Now make sure your homework today is to access that creativity and figure out what it is for you. Again, for me right now, it's crocheting, but it may be something totally different. I don't, if you asked me to crochet something that was, that was normal, I probably wouldn't do it, but it's gotta be something that's funny, that's off the wall, that's kind of kitschy, and I'm totally in. So find that for you, what that looks like to access your creativity. But if not, find a kid, go for a walk, have fun, figure out what fun means for you, because your creativity is one of your most important assets, and you're the one that has the ability to reach it. So I thank you so much for being on the show today. Again, next week, how to use emotional intelligence to increase your profitability. We've got all kinds of great things to share with you. But remember this week, just be creative, have fun. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for joining me on the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. Kathleen Reeson will return next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Have a great week.